With the latest agriculture news from across the state and nation, it's time for the AgNet News Hour from AgNet West. Here's your host, Danielle Leal. Hey everyone, Danielle Leal here, and thanks for getting your agriculture news with me today. Tomorrow, the Department of Water Resources will conduct the second Phillips Station snow survey of the season. Now, after the survey is done, DWR Director Carla Nimith and DWR Snow Surveys and Water Supply Forecasting Unit Manager Sean DeGuzman will give statements on the survey results, as well as talk about how important the remaining winter months are for the state's water supply as California transitions into an era of both flood and drought. Now, if folks are interested in hearing those results live, they can hop on the department's YouTube page or Facebook page at 1 p.m. Data collected from this survey and future surveys will help water managers make decisions on future water allocations. Again, that's tomorrow, February 1st at 1 p.m. And now let's get into today's show headlines. How the produce safety rule shifted strategies from reactive to proactive. Don Stucco with the Produce Safety Alliance says before learning about the produce safety rule, it's important to understand why it was created. FISMA, the Food Safety Modernization Act, was a long-due overhaul of the food safety system in the United States, and it covers farm to fork. Starting with the farm, you have the produce safety rule. So produce safety rule was passed in 2015, and it shifts the focus of food safety efforts from a reactive system to a proactive system. In other words, those good agricultural practices that are embodied and and underlie many of the regulations are meant to stop fecal contamination from getting onto produce. Fecal contamination is the most common source of pathogens that lead to foodborne illness that can be traced back to the farm. Stuckel goes on to say, so, so the produce safety rule was was enacted in 2015. It became effective in 2016. I think an important thing to know is that enforcement didn't actually begin in two th- until 2019. Why that's important is that everybody is trying to work to understand the produce safety rule because it's new to all of us. And that's that's why these conversations, this education and outreach, um, continued communications with FDA and stakeholders are so important to understanding how to enact and how to comply with the PSR. The atmospheric river events earlier in the month brought massive flows through the Delta. However, pumping was limited due to first flush requirements. Director of Regulatory and Economic Affairs for the California Milk Producers Council, Jeff Vandenhuvel, described the flow conditions during the required two-week period of reduced pumping. The pumps were operating down at about 1,900 cubic feet per second of pumping when their capacity is closer to 10,000. And so for these 14 days, they were throttled back. But that's where you had all of the complaining because it peaked at over 150,000 cubic feet per second coming through the Delta during this two weeks. So (laughs) it was very frustrating to people that you had the capacity to pump another eight or 9,000 cubic feet per second, and you didn't do it because of this rule when you've got 150,000 cubic feet per second coming through the area. Industry groups have been celebrating the release of the new organic rules from the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Certification Director for Oregon Tilth Connie Carr said the basis of the strengthening organic enforcement rule is to uphold the integrity of the organic label through improved record keeping. It's throughout all the supply chains. The record keeping as far as currently exempt operations being required to be certified increase their records to demonstrate that they are protecting organic integrity every day increased records in that import and supply chain and audit trail. And all of this is to really address 
how organic has grown and the new problems or the new challenges that organic is facing with increase in oversight of fraud and making sure that fraud does not impact the organic market and that we remain of high integrity and that the consumer continues to respect and demand the organic label. I'm Brian German for Agnet West Radio Network. Thanks, Brian, and stay tuned as we'll have more of the day's agriculture news and farm features here on the Agnet News Hour. Don't forget if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and at statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search our name of Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet West. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance Posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with Fells Posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net. Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal, tossing it right on over to Sabrina Halverson with today's National Spotlight. In today's National Spotlight, Senior Trade Advisor of the USDA Foreign Agricultural Service, Sabina Newman, spoke recently at the AgriPulse webinar, Farming in an Integrated World. The key topic was how crop protection policies around the world affect farmers and their ability to farm and trade. Newman works to resolve trade issues involving U.S. exports of crops and crop products. She talked about how pesticide maximum residue levels, or MRLs, affect U.S. farmers. Governments around the world set MRLs to ensure that agricultural products are safe to consume. These MRLs should be grounded in science and based on completed risk assessments. However, diverging regulatory approaches in some markets are fragmenting the global MRL landscape, creating significant challenges to agricultural production, productivity, and trade with cascading impacts on food security. She expanded on how this can affect food supplies around the world. It's widely accepted that our global agricultural systems are under pressure to meet demands for food and feed, for a global population expected to increase to 8.6 billion by 2030. Sustainably increasing agricultural productivity is essential to food security, but instead multiple factors are increasingly disrupting food systems and exacerbating food insecurity. Among those are shifting climate patterns, which have changed pest and disease pressures around the world while at the same time farmers are facing new pressures from invasive species. Pesticides are a critical component of integrated pest management systems, and the judicious use of legally registered pesticides allow farmers to safely meet the growing demand for food. Newman said there's another key aspect. At the same time, open markets improve access to diverse foods and facilitate the movement of foods from areas of surplus to deficit. Trade is a critical tool for enhancing food security as diversified supply chains allow for quicker adaptations when market disruptions occur. She said MRLs should help with trade, not hinder it. Pesticide MRLs are meant to be trade facilitative, and by that I mean they should enable government officials and competent authorities to ensure that pesticides were applied 
properly and in accordance with the label. However, oftentimes missing or low MRLs can limit crop protection options with consequential effects on production and trade. Farmers are increasingly forced to adjust their agronomic practices in response to pesticide policies and pesticide MRLs. The lowest export market MRL often becomes the target that growers must meet, regardless of their own domestic MRLs or what unique local pest and disease pressures warrant. And when MRLs vary across markets, farmers face difficult and often costly choices. Some may be able to segregate crops, but for bulked and blended products, for example, like grains, segregation may not be feasible. In that case, farmers have to change pesticides that they use or change their use patterns. However, this assumes that alternative pesticides or alternative production practices are immediately available, equally effective, and affordable. And while the United States is a leader in promoting innovative solutions, the fact is that developing alternative products or processes is a time and capital intensive process. She said it adds to the challenges farmers are already facing when making crop protection plans. That's today's National Spotlight. I'm Sabrina Halverson for Agnet West. Thanks, Sabrina. And now for today's Livestock Report, here's Randall Wiseman. Well, in today's Livestock News, the Cattle Industry Convention kicks off this week in New Orleans, and one major topic that will be discussed is the Waters of the U.S. or WOTUS Rule. The National Cattlemen's Beef Association, American Farm Bureau, and 16 other farm and builders groups are not waiting around for the Supreme Court to clarify the definition of OTIS. They did file a lawsuit in federal court. NCBA notes the lawsuit against the Environmental Protection Agency for its final WOTUS rule is an attack on farmers and ranchers and says it lacks common sense. The lack of certainty in this final rule that subjecting a lot of features to case-by-case determinations really means that, that we're not any better off than we started. That's NCBA Chief Counsel Mary Thomas Hart. She said the EPA rule does exempt some farm features like drainage ditches, stock ponds, and prior converted farmland, but not those like streams that only flow when it rains. But why a lawsuit now when the Supreme Court may narrow the definition of OTIS when it rules in the Sackett versus EPA in a few months? One of the biggest reasons we filed the lawsuit is to hold off implementation of the rule until we hear back from the Supreme Court. You know, halt the rule until we're able to argue the merits of the case. And then obviously we'll fight to get the rule vacated permanently. Over 1,700 cattle producers last year sent the message to EPA opposing the agency's sweeping definition of orders, but Hart claims EPA did not listen. Producers across the country are going to be required to spend a lot of money to figure out if they need additional permits, if they're going to be subject to enforcement, that is is not at all what, what farmers and ranchers need to, to have to spend their money on. Farm Bureau President Zippy Duval did issue a statement that the new WOTUS rule again gives the federal government sweeping authority over private lands and creates uncertainty for farmers, even if they're miles from the nearest navigable waters. And a quick note, today is January 31st. It's the deadline to enroll in the Dairy Margin Coverage and Supplemental Dairy Margin Coverage programs. USDA did extend the deadline, but that deadline is today, January 31st. DMC does offer different levels of coverage, even an option that is free to producers aside from the $100 administrative fee. Of course, limited resource, beginning, socially disadvantaged, and military veteran farmers and ranchers are exempt from paying that administrative fee if requested. 
Last year, USDA, of course, introduced supplemental DMC. It provided some $42.8 million in payments to better help small and mid-sized dairy operations that had increased production over the years but were not able to enroll the additional production. So supplemental DMC is available again this year, but the enrollment period ends today. Supplemental DMC coverage is also applicable to calendar years 2021, 2022, and this year. To learn more about this and to get registered, simply contact your local USDA service center. I'm Randall Wiseman for Agnet West. This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. Today's show is sponsored by the makers of All Grow Compost. Don't settle for expensive fertilizer when you can get nitrogen and organic matter together, all at a great price. Contact your soil health specialist, Thomas Fantosi, at 209-312-4016. Sinagro, your partner for a cleaner, greener world. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now. More proof of the health benefits of tree nuts. That's coming up on This Land of Ours. In a paper published in the journal Nutrients, researchers found that consuming mixed tree nuts had a positive effect on the metabolism of the essential amino acid tryptophan. The mixed nuts studied include almonds, Brazil nuts, cashews, hazelnuts, macadamias, pecans, pine nuts, pistachios, and walnuts. The study looked at whether tree nut snacks as part of a low-calorie diet could modify the gut microbiome and increase levels of heart-protecting tryptophan microbial metabolites. Research has long proven a link between eating tree nuts and cardiovascular benefits. This study helped researchers discover why that link is there and the role that tryptophan microbial metabolites play. The researchers discovered new associations between these tryptophan metabolites and blood pressure, heart rate, and satiety in overweight or obese subjects, which suggested a broader impact of tryptophan metabolism on overall health. I'm Sabrina Halverson for Agnet West. This is the Agricultural Law and Tax Report. I'm Roger McOwen. One of the drawbacks to starting in farming on a full-time basis is the lack of capital, but you just might have a substantial asset that you could tap to create the necessary working capital. I'll be back in a moment to discuss. If your high school son or daughter has a passion to pursue a career in agriculture but doesn't know where to start, we suggest Kansas State University's Agricultural Economics Department. And after graduation, a 98% job placement rate. Learn more at ageconomics.ksu.edu. We'll get back into the report in just a moment. But first, I'm pleased to partner with R.D. Schrader at Schrader Real Estate and Auction Company. I've known him and his family for 40 years. One call and you'll know R.D. is a man you can trust. Write this number down, 800-451-2709. If you have a 401k, you might be able to use the funds to start a farming business. To do this, you will need to create a C corporation to establish a 401k plan and then roll over your current 401k at the old employer into the new 401k plan. 
The new plan will then buy shares in the corporation and become an owner. The money put into the corporation will then become the working capital that the corporation can use to buy equipment and plant crops and so forth. There is no limit on how much stock the 401k can buy. This means that unlike borrowing money from a 401k, which is limited to $50,000, or cashing in the plan and paying taxes at a 10% penalty on the funds received, you can maximize the amount of capital you put into the farm business. The IRS has noted some abuses with these transactions. Some people have set up a corporation simply to buy a motorhome, for example. This will most likely get disallowed on audit. But if you use the cash to create a farming entity and will be actively farming, there should be no issue with using your 401k to fund it. This has been the Agricultural Law and Tax Report. I'm Roger McOwen. Organic produce sales are up 3%, volume down 4%. Organic fresh produce sales grew by 3% last year, while total volume dropped by 3.7%. The Organic Produce Network says total sales dropped $9.4 billion for the year. The 2022 Organic Produce Performance Report says the fresh berry category was the top organic produce category with more than 16% of organic fresh produce dollars in 2022. Fresh berry sales top $1.6 billion for the year, with organic packed salads a close second at $1.55 billion. Total fresh produce sales gained 7.3% in dollars during the year, but dropped 1.3% in volume from the prior year. During 2022, 13% of top 20 organic produce categories by total sales posted increase in dollars, with organic onions generating the latest increase at 15.4%. That increase was followed by cucumbers, potatoes, and avocados. Organic performance in 2022 was consistent across the nation as dollars grew and volume declined. An AFB contributed to that report. This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. Support us at 4H.org. Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West, providing you with statewide agriculture news daily. I'm your host, Danielle Leal. Now let's listen in to more featured segments. American bison is trying to gain access into the Japanese market. Industry officials recently had an opportunity to meet face-to-face with Japanese officials during a visit to some U.S. bison processing facilities. Jim Matheson, executive director of the National Bison Association, says they've lobbied Japan for access for several years. It so happened that when we were in D.C. in September for our fly-in, we were sitting with, down with the Foreign Ag Service, and they let us know that there's a Japanese delegation uh, that was coming to Colorado in December. They expressed interest to tour a bison processing plant, uh, which, as I understand it, is, is kind of the first step for their consideration of, of opening up for our products. So- Matheson pointed out that one of the biggest bison processors is in Colorado, Rocky Mountain Natural Meats. He says the tour was great and he felt like progress was made. 
We are a, a relatively small sector of American agriculture, and we processed about 75,000 head of bison last year here in the U.S., which was a, a record year for us. Um, that said, you know, we, we do have members in our association that are seeking to export actively to Japan. At the same time, we have folks in Japan that are seeking bison imports. Uh, so we're trying to connect those folks, of course, and, and show the governments of both U.S. and Japan that, that there is significant demand there. Matheson noted there's virtually no other competition for bison from other countries, pointing out that bison is uniquely American. An AFB contributed to that report. And now here's more agriculture news. Well, the Federal Reserve Board meeting and more corporate earnings reports coming out will keep Wall Street on edge between now and the end of the week, we think. But economic reports showing inflation slowing ever so slightly will add support in our view. In fact, when all said and done, we would see Wall Street advancing overall this week. Turning to the grain trade, you've seen the weather premium being taken out of the grain trade here the last two weeks with weather in South America improving but corn may take over the lead here with a tight uh, stocks-to-use ratio. December new crop, we think, will see resistance just over $6, but there is support 575 577 on the downside. November soybeans will test $14, we think, as we get deeper into February. Well, the first ever Crop Nutrition Week. Just a week away now, brought to you by AgriLiquid. It's free. It's a virtual week of learning. You can still register free at CropNutritionWeek.com. CropNutritionWeek.com. This is the Bottom Line Report. Some of the coldest weather of the season will be rolling across the cattle country here early week, and that will be a support to the trade. And, of course, the NCBA convention begins this week as well. That's our bottom line. I'm Mark Oppold, wishing you a profitable day. Agritourism. This form of agribusiness has been around for some time now. I say, have you ever gone to a pumpkin patch? Or have you ever gone to see flowers on a farm? And most people can at least say, yes, some form of that. And you participated in agritourism, maybe not even knowing it. And as Oregon State University Extension expert Audrey Cumberford notes, it is expected to continue growing both in numbers of operations and popularity among consumers. That's not to say, though, there isn't challenges in starting up or maintaining an agritourism site. But she observes, for many of this business, the folks that are actively engaging in agritourism are seeing the benefits and are looking to expand. I'm Rod Bain. Coming up, a look at agritourism in this edition of Agriculture USA. There are several reasons ag producers decide to pursue agritourism. Yet, as Oregon State University Extension's Audrey Cumberford explains, benefits also greatly vary, both for the business owner and operator and their customers. From the economic perspective, it may allow the farms to charge a higher price for their farm products. It's not getting easier to be a farmer. Engaging directly with customers to promote the sale of product, that's another positive benefit. It may improve farm viability by adding additional revenue stream. In addition, it can also allow the farmer ranch to employ additional family members or maybe even a community member on the farm, either part or full time. Agritourism can also aid in farm 
Arab succession. Where the second, third, or fourth, or even fifth generation to that farm maybe is looking to put their own spin on it. And by adding these direct consumer sales or on-farm events, lets them carve out a niche in their family business. As the COVID-19 pandemic demonstrated, agritourism provides a relationship-building opportunity with local communities. Folks were looking either to get out of the house, connect with their local food systems. So while that community relationship building has always been there, we sought strength a lot during the pandemic. Several agritourism operations are not operated as a business by the farm owner, but rather to educate the public about agriculture. There's a larger disconnect between what happens on farmland, how food and fiber is grown and processed, and what the public knows or perceives. And so these farms that open up to the public really provide that education about what goes on in our agriculture sectors here in the U.S. Cumber Ford says even with the educational component of agritourism as a sole focus, there still could be an indirect residual effect for the business side of such an operation. Even using it as a marketing so later these folks then think about the farm and will maybe buy their product from them rather than someone else. For those considering starting up an agritourism business, Audrey Cumberford says this industry has its share of challenges. For instance, there are what is known as ongoing challenges. One of the big ones that comes up is land use laws, zoning and permitting. What these folks can and cannot do on farmlands based at a state and county level. There's always the question of infrastructure, what kind of buildings, parking lots, restroom facilities, those types of things need to be added to the farm to have visitors on the property. Risk management, insurance, and liability are also important considerations, perhaps challenges, for an agritourism operator. You're always going to have risk when inviting the public onto the property, and is it worth that particular risk to your operation and your family? She adds risk management includes proper biosecurity measures to assure everyone, farm operator and family, employees, visitors, and animals remain safe. She also notes another challenge for producers with agritourism ongoing on their farm lack of privacy. Loss of privacy is a big one. You must actually want people on your farm and to interact with the public in order to do agritourism. If you don't, then maybe this avenue of marketing isn't necessarily for you. Then there is the usual list of challenges associated with any ag operation including agritourism. Time management, labor, increase in cost, marketing. Despite the challenges of the pandemic, agritourism utilized online sales as another revenue stream. Various on-site activities curtailed during the pandemic are returning. And Cumberford says owners are continuing to look at ways to diversify what they offer through agritourism. For one, on-farm lodging, so farm stays, is quite popular right now. How can we take some of those folks that are staying and vacationing in rural areas and put them and their dollars out into the rural communities? This has been Agriculture USA. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. 
Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with Fells posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net. Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour. I'm your host, Danielle Leal. For today's interview segment, we have another episode of The Voices of the Valley. And in today's conversation, show host Dennis Donahue and Candace Wilson talk to Belinda Clark about similar agricultural challenges in the UK and how solutions might be developed. Welcome to Voices of the Valley, a series interviewing growers, entrepreneurs, educators, and technologists who are inventing new solutions for today's and tomorrow's challenges on the farm. Brought to you by Reedley College, educating the next generation of agriculturalists in advanced technology, efficient production practices, and food safety. Now here's your hosts of Voices of the Valley, Dennis Donahue and Candace Wilson. This is Dennis Donahue the director of Western Growers Center of Innovation and Technology and co-host with my good friend, Candace Wilson of uh, the weekly episode of Voices of the Valley. Candace, how are you? I'm doing well, minus this crazy cold that I have. I know I sound a little funny today. Well, we'll know it's you. You know, we've set them straight right at the beginning. So anyway, <laughs> good good to see you as always. And uh, we're, we're going to go across the pond today. We've got a, a good friend and somebody I'm really looking forward to visiting with. Belinda Clark, who is the director of Agritech E. Help us get situated. This doesn't sound like London. So where are you? And tell us a little bit about kind of your career background, all leading to Agritech E, and then we'll get into what that's all about. Okay, well, what a pleasure to be here in the Valley virtually with you. I'm calling from the flatlands of the UK in the Fens, which is the east of England, a very highly agriculturally productive area particularly for vegetables and some cereals and potatoes and sugar beet as well so uh, we're about uh, 150 kilometers from London so we're surrounded by lots of farmers and I've got some alpacas and sheep at the back of my house as well so I know what it's like to be a livestock producer that makes a very low margin low value but very beautiful product so thank you for the introduction Dennis my background is I'm a scientist by background so I can be very boring about how peas and potatoes make starch, if you'll indulge me. But for that reason, I guess, I decided quite early on in my career to move away from research. And I was really passionate at an early age about seeing how science can really do the job it was designed to do and help farmers. So that fire was ignited in me when I was a research technician, actually, on leaving school. And I could see that there was this great research that just wasn't getting out to farmers. So that uh, kind of made it my mission in life. And 20 years later, I'm lucky enough to run this organization. We've now been now in our ninth year called Agritech E, which is really an innovation ecosystem for Agritech, bringing together growers and farmers, technology developers and researchers. You know, and, and I certainly encourage folks to look at your website. I'm always impressed every, every time I do. So talk about how all of that takes place, because one of the things I've been impressed by is there's a lot of substance standing behind what, what you just said. I mean, it really sounds like a highly functioning organization that really has excelled in get, getting people together towards that objective you just laid out. So talk a little bit about how you work and uh, some of the things you do. 
So I guess a number of the ways that we bring that community together is around events. And we try and host events around topics that we think will resonate with both farmers and technology developers. So we do those and they have always been in person. Then the pandemic hit and we ran, I think, just over 50 odd events online. In fact, we did one with the Western Growers Association, didn't we, where we were showcasing some of the needs of your growers to the UK technology community. So there's events, there's kind of one-to-one or one-to-many brokerage. So we will introduce people to who have either solutions or challenges to those who perhaps have the other side of the equation. If they're farmers with a challenge, we can hopefully find a technologist with the solution. And technologists are often looking for farmers to help ground truth their thinking or trial a technology or whatever. So it's really just kind of bringing that ecosystem together, helping to articulate the challenge at the right level of granularity. I think that's really important because if you ask a lot of farmers what they want, they might give you a very top level description. On the other hand, you might get into a very detailed discussion of specifically what they need and just matching the expectation of both timescale, ambition, of what needs doing, the complexity of what needs doing, is that we kind of curate that conversation, I guess. Well, one of the things, and, and you know, we're at the beginning of the new year, and our previous guests, we talked a little bit about, you know, we wanted to uh, talk about what lies ahead, where priorities are. But in the midst of that, you know, there was kind of an acknowledgement of there is a bit of growers fatigue. Is that same phenomena taking place in your world or just kind of a steady go. There's a lot of exciting things going on. And uh, so that's question number one. Are, are you finding that to be the case in your neck of the woods? And then what's your general outlook in 2023 in terms of, you know, what are growers and investors thinking about most prominently these days in your world? So the growth fatigue question is very interesting. And I think if we view the farming and grower community almost as a bell curve, So there will be those at the leading edge of that bell curve that want to know what's coming through. They just have this appetite for technology, either because they're personally interested or they feel that that's a key enabler for the growth of their business. There's then, I think, possibly a larger group who are, I think, very positive and hopeful at what technology can deliver, but perhaps have seen quite a lot of solutions and are maybe a little bit jaded with, you know, this constant barrage, as you say, of opportunities coming their way. But I think possibly need support in being able to triage those opportunities. And then I think there's a sort of tailing edge of that bell curve, who are the ones who are the more difficult ones to get engaged. And frankly, I think possibly to move on a little bit to your second question, times are tough. Times are really tough for growers for a number of reasons we can perhaps come on to. And I'm not suggesting that technology is a panacea or a silver bullet by any means. But I think those that still have their heads in the sand about the change that is coming perhaps have a shock waiting for them. So I think there will be fewer of those laggards, we might call them, uh, rather disingenuously, given the pressure that is on the industry at the moment. And as I say, technology is, I think, a key enabler. It's not the only solution. But if you're disregarding tech, then I think that's perhaps at your peril. You know, your organization, even though it's agri-techy and kind of implies a certain geographic focus in the UK, you certainly have a global reach, global impact. Uh, You know, for instance, your REAP conferences, uh, you've got folks from all over the world paying attention to what's going on in Great Britain. You know, obviously you've had, we've all had to deal with COVID and then you've had 
Brexit. And so what's really the general backdrop? So when you talk about what's coming, I assume some of that's connected to the situation in the UK specifically. Yeah, I think there's two tiers. So I guess just to pick up your point. So Agritech E, we kind of laughingly say E stands for expanding, evolving and everywhere. So we have members across the UK and internationally. So hopefully the E doesn't imply implies omnipotence rather than any geographic. <laughs> well, that's, that's why you changed it from East to E. You, had, you didn't want to limit yourself anymore. Exactly. Now I still have that East floating in my mind. Exactly. So. All right. Yeah, I think we have two tiers. Somebody said to me the other day, there's unprecedented use of the word unprecedented when it comes to talking about agriculture, particularly in the UK. So we have had Brexit, which, let's be clear, has been a seismic disruptor to the industry in a number of ways. This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. Today's show is sponsored by the makers of All Grow Compost. Don't settle for expensive fertilizer when you can get nitrogen and organic matter together, all at a great price. Contact your soil health specialist, Thomas Fantosi, at 209-312-4016. Synagro, your partner for a cleaner, greener world. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now. California's approach to Planet Smart Dairy continues to make progress in addressing climate goals. According to the California Dairy Research Foundation, dairy methane reduction projects on 400-plus farms are eliminating or capturing more than 2.5 million tons of methane emissions annually. California's Dairy Digester Research and Development Program, along with the Alternative Manure Management Program, account for the majority of dairy methane reduction projects. An analysis from UC Davis researchers indicates that continued implementation of the state's incentive-based dairy methane reduction efforts should achieve the full 40% reduction goal by 2030. USDA is also bolstering the overall effort, awarding $85 million that will leverage additional matching state and private investments for a total of $300 million to help bring emerging technologies to reduce methane and improve groundwater protection to California dairies as full-scale projects. I'm Brian German for Agnet West Radio Network. Balancing work and home life study seeking farmer and rancher input. A new study to better understand how parents who double as farmers and ranchers balance farm life, ag business, and safety within the family is currently in the works. This study is conducted in partnership with Ohio State University and the National Farm Medicine Center, and it's critically timely as drafting of the next farm bill is in the works. Florence Bacod, an associate research scientist at the National Farm Medicine Center, an affiliate of the National Children's Center for Rural and Agriculture Health and Safety, says, quote, We recognize that farmers often feel oversurveyed and have limited time and energy this time of year. However, we also know that decisions are being made by local, state, and national policymakers without a good grounding in the realities faced by actual farm families. 
The survey is asking farmers not only about their childcare and schooling arrangements, but also how their decisions are connected to farm safety, the economic viability of their farm business, and their household finances. Shoshana Inwood, an associate professor at Ohio State University, says, quote, This is the first nationwide comprehensive survey focused on the realities of farmers and ranchers raising children. Adding, quote, Over the years, USDA has invested significant resources to recruit and retain the next generation of farmers. Yet these programs and resources rarely consider or take into account the child care needs of farm and ranch families, despite evidence of child care challenges dating back to the 1980s. The goal of this survey is to gather potential solutions to current challenges, and those solutions will be relayed to other farmers, farm organizations, state agencies, and policymakers. To be a part of the survey, visit marshfieldresearch.org and click the Balancing Children and Work link on the right-hand side of the webpage. To get more information on the topics you heard today, visit Agnet West online at agnetwest.com. You can also stay connected by following us on our social media at Agnet West on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also find our broadcast team of Danielle Leal, Brian German, and Sabrina Halvertson on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening to the Agnet News Hour from Agnet West. Agnet West Radio Network, your primary choice for agriculture news.